Since we've gotten together on a live stream, tried to put together that interview uh, for you guys on Wednesday. I have that guest rebooked a few weeks out. That's going to be a great episode. It's going to be on using uh, radio uh, without a license. Well, there's technically a license, but it's not a ham license. And, but yet, take your radio skills to another level. That's not what we're talking about today. Uh, today's title, which I expect will end up with a pretty good. Uh, a live stream uh, head count in it within about 10 to 15 minutes after we started, just people start to pour in is the world is full of stupid and it is. And boy has a lot gone on since we've gotten together. Uh, I've just got a ton of stuff to talk to you guys about today. Um, we're going to talk of course about Richmond, rich men North of Richmond. And of course the establishment and the left, et cetera, hates it. And it's, White supremacist and racist is actually a great song, but I want to talk about more about why this song is hitting people the way that it is. And um, it's going to actually help me. It's going to actually help me bookend the show with what I'm going to end with today, which I'll tell you what that is in a minute. Then we're going to talk about something some climate activists did that is just it's indicative of the level of knowledge that they have. It's a very short video. It's about 10 seconds long. It's hysterical. I'll wait and let it speak for itself. And then I've been getting questions about when real estate crash. You've talked about the real estate crash, Jack. When? No time soon. Um, something's going to have to cause real estate to crash that is external from the market directly due to what's known as the lock-up effect, the limited inventory. There's only like 450,000 houses for sale in the country right now. It's an incredibly low inventory rate. Um, now, there's a lot of places I think people would like to sell, but they can't. They just don't, they don't have them on an open market because they know they can't sell them. But the real thing that's propping up the real estate market in spite of the Fed and Everybody involved with the economic planning in the United States going all out to cause a recession is this lockup effect. And we'll talk more about that and why it matters. We're going to talk about brain drain, brain drain when it comes to immigration. Um, there's this belief that, you know, like basically the vagrants and the unwashed are who pours into a country with immigration. That does happen, but it's not the only thing that happens when people preemptively move and get out of a country, it is generally your smartest and most upwardly mobile people that bail first. The people that are most capable of helping fix the problems of the place they're living in leave, and that place ends up worse for it. Um, can that happen domestically in the United States? You bet, and it is, and we'll talk about that. Um, while that's all going on, and we have people vacating these flashpoint cities that are heeding the call of get out, get out, get out, what does the orange man want to do? Yell a little bit of presidential politics here, right? Trump, he wants to build 10 more giant cities. We'll talk about how stupid that is. But we won't go into the indictments and Joe Biden. And I don't do that shit, guys. It's, there's no point to it. But I thought this was indicative of one of the mental problems that we seem to have in this country. Uh, also on that, 
We're talking about Maui really quick, just a little bit about it. Not so much what happened, but the lesson from it. The lesson is basically no matter where you live, you're not safe from natural disasters. I guarantee you, I guarantee you the people that live in Hawaii where this fire hit, if you had asked them a day or two before if they were concerned about the whole place burning down, they would have said no. I mean, even if there could be fires or whatever, but of course we have a plan. They won't let the whole city burn. No. that can't, And then it did. And it's a terrible tragedy. But if you're not taking the, the lesson from this, that this can happen where you are, then you're not you're not getting the lesson of the whole event. We're going to talk about what ongoing money of Ukraine shows us about government stupidity, no matter what side of the um, the rah-rah side you're, you're on for this. Or if you're just like me and you're just pragmatic and you just like look at the situation on the ground and militarily analyze it, it the, the, the point I'm going to make is the, is the same point. You should be able to grasp of the point. And it's not so much to do with Ukraine. It just happens to be one place where it's really obvious right now the mentality that these people have. The mentality that these people have. Um, next, <clears throat> Russia really is becoming an example of putting the needs of your own nation first. They've been shut off to most of the world from a standpoint of trade, but they're taking a very pragmatic approach, which is very Russian, by the way. And we'll talk just a little bit about that and maybe what that can teach us about what we should be doing. But trust me, we won't anytime soon. Um, AI is eventually going to become a completely open source mechanism. I've been saying that for a while. And now ChatGPT's founder comes out and says, you know, by 2024, we could be bankrupt. As successful as it looks like it is, that's because it costs $700,000 a day to run. $700,000 a day. And a subscription's 20 bucks. And the number of people using it has actually gone down over the summer. We'll talk about that and why AI's not going away, but the model will shift. Um, there's also new talk of masking and lockdowns in the EU and UK. Of course, here in the United States, they're trying to scare us with the tridemic and the newest variant, which I just had, and it's totally not worth, worth locking down society for. And of course, I don't know that that's the one that it was, but it's the most likely. I'll tell you a little bit about my experience. But they're scaring people with bullshit in Europe about something called Crimean Congo uh, hemorrhagic fever. Sounds terrifying, doesn't it? Well, unless you roll around on the ground and get fed by ticks, you're going to be okay. But I'm going to tell you where I could see this going very, very quickly. And <clears throat> what I want to bookend the show with today is we're headed into a full-on actual insurrection or mass stupid compliance. And when I say insurrection, I don't mean necessarily a bunch of people running around with guns or taking over capitals. I mean an insurrection in the way that I have been using the term for 15 years. Not a revolution. A revolution is where you take power from one group of idiots and give it to another group of idiots and think you've done something. That's a revolution. A, a real insurrection is where insurrectionists take power away from the state and back to themselves. That's what was done when this country was founded, you know, all the way back to 1776. That's what the insurrection was. It's interesting to me. Some of these uh, left-wing loons have actually said stupid shit like this. Could you imagine if Thomas Jefferson or George Washington had committed an insurrection, of course, you know, attacking the orange man in Jan 6, um, guys, 
dumbasses. How do you think the United States got formed? It was an insurrection. It was an insurrection, and they hate it for that very reason. So they just try to pretend, well, it didn't really happen. So big agenda today. Lots to talk about. We'll move quickly through it so we can cover it all in a reasonable amount of time. Let's start off with um, our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Self-Reliance Expo. Why is this like this? There, okay. Uh, the Self-Reliance Festival, Nicole Sauce puts an awesome, awesome thing together at SRF. And you have an opportunity to come there and meet awesome people. Uh, last one I was at, there was over 500 people there. Tickets are 95 bucks to attend the two days, the 14th and the 15th. There's also on both sides of it uh, workshops. The Zero to Hero radio uh, course, uh, that's 645 bucks. It's the 12th and 13th if you want to go to that. And you can go to any part of this. You don't have to do all of it. Um, again, the, the, the festival itself is just 95 bucks. It's the 14th and 15th. And on the 16th, they have a, a poultry processing workshop and demonstration by Joel Salatin. So if you want to learn how to do this from the master, that is the way to, uh, to get that done. Next up today, I got something really cool for you. It's a fundal. What the heck is a fundal? Well, it's fun, but that's not why. It's fungus bundle. A fundus bundle, that doesn't sound good. That's why they called it a fundal. Actually, Paul Wheaton has this great uh, information package for you. It is five separate resources on growing your own mushrooms and how to use, like, mycelium to actually create insulation for building. It is awesome. It is a $129 value. It's on sale for the next 72 hours for 35 bucks. 35 bucks, $129 worth of value. There is a link in the video notes for both SRF uh, and for uh, the fundal uh, right there in the show or the video notes below. And I'm going to have to figure out what's going on here right now with my back office because things are not looking the way that they normally do for me. And uh, we'll try to get that fixed. But something weird is going on back here. Of course, the first day back, some sort of technical technological uh, change had to be done uh, to there we go that'll work to uh, to the back end of StreamYard so hopefully it won't throw me off too much you know you're always off just a little bit when uh, you do something you haven't done something that you've done a long time for a while you, you take a week off like I did especially under the circumstances so let's start off with um, I want to talk about this song everybody's talking about Rich Men North of Richmond uh, by this, this guy, uh, Oliver Anthony. And uh, may I just play a little bit of it for you here while I'm doing that? Maybe I can try to figure out what's happened to my layout in my back office here. Uh, but let's hear a little bit of Rich Men North of Richmond. Telling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit pay so I can sit out here and waste my life away drag back home and drown my troubles away it's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me people like you wish I could just wake up and it not be true but it is all it is living in the new world with an Lord knows it all, just wanna have total control. Wanna know what you think, wanna know what 
you know, but I know that you do. Cause your dollar hates shit, and it's taxed to no end. Calls a rich man, calls a rich man. I wish politicians look out for miners. Not just miners on an island somewhere. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat, and the old beast milk and welfare. God, if you're five foot three and you're three hundred pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of butt rounds. Young men are putting themselves six feet in the ground, cause all this damn country does is keep on kicking them down. Well, guys, that is one of the most soulful, honest pieces of music, in my opinion, to come out in a long time. And I think even if you don't like that type of music, kind of folksy country, let's call it what it is, kind of an outlaw country vibe that it has going on to it. Um, I think it probably still hits you like, wow. Like, that's how so many people feel. And one of the things I probably should explain here, because there are people that don't know this or don't understand this or maybe don't get this, the whole concept of Richmond, rich men north of Richmond, Virginia. You know what's due north of Richmond, Virginia? Washington, D.C. That's who the rich men north of Richmond are. It's not all the people in the North. It's not the Yankees. This isn't a, an anthem for the new Confederacy, as some people on the left want to make it out. This is about the government not putting your best interest at heart. And, of course, you know what that would mean, right? That means that, well, the establishment hate it. The liberals hate it. The mainstream media hate it. Uh, Rolling Stone has an article out. Right-wing influencers just found their new country song, and it talks about how it's laced with uh, unproven conspiracy theories, etc. When uh, I, I don't know, I don't think that the concept that people on welfare are, in, in general, many of them are obese, is a conspiracy theory. I don't think the idea that politicians don't have your best interest at heart is a conspiracy theory. I don't think child trafficking as a thing is a conspiracy thing. I don't think the existence of Epstein Island and Epstein being a pedophile is a conspiracy theory. I don't think anything in this is a conspiracy theory. They just hate it, though. Now, you know why they hate it. Do you know why they hate it? Because it's true. Didn't I just do an episode a few weeks, maybe a month and a half ago, that said there's nothing that the media hates more than the truth. We're seeing something revealed here in our country. And I think it for, I, for one, think it's very encouraging. There's an underlying resentment for the media, for industry, for the oligarchs, for the politicians. And that underlying resentment, and this is why the orange man's been successful. It's growing more and more populist and less and less partisan. The people that are still telling you you have to vote for Republicans are acknowledging, but they suck. It's not a great way to sell a thing, is it? <clears throat> and I think most Democrats, when I say Democrats, I mean people, not politicians, think their side sucks too. They just think the other side sucks worse. But there's this undertow. 
this undertow, like in an ocean. So you have this, the top of the water moving in one direction, but there's actually a current moving in a, in a, in a different direction underneath. There's this under, and undertows are extremely powerful. And it's starting to be revealed here. And if you look at this, the songs that have hit home runs lately have been in this vein. Of course, uh, Jason Aldean had uh, tried that in a small town. They hated that, too. I talked about that, right? They can't stand the truth. And they really can't stand truth that resonates. And I'm going to save my thoughts on this for the end because I do think we're heading for a type of maybe peaceful insurrection. Just basically a, yeah, we're not doing what you say anymore. We're just not doing it. Oh, you want to do that? That's fine. We're not doing it. We're not participating. Oh, you want to make us try? And I, I mean, I was talking to my wife about this the other night, last night, actually, this song in particular. I said, you know what we need to do? Well, I bet they'd really hate this, too, if it was done. We need like a country palooza or uh, a country Woodstock or something, but only people like this. Only people like this, like Aaron Lewis, Jamie Johnson. That's what somebody I mentioned. Uh, Jason Aldean, this guy here. Um, we need to get like all people like that together. So then this morning I was on Twitter. I know it's stupid to be there, but I was anyway, mainly to research what's going on with this and how people feel about this song. And <clears throat> come to find out, um, this dude did a song or not a song, a concert at a farmer's market. And so many people showed up. It was like acres of cars parked. And somebody shows up, walks up on stage, and sings a very well-known song with him. The song was in color, and the artist was Jamie Johnson. Which, like, when I was thinking, of, like, if I was putting together this type of thing, who is the first person I'd want to book? It was Jamie Johnson. I mean, Jamie is this no, like, somebody saying right here, no pop country from Canadians who moved to Nashville. Exactly what I'm talking about. That's from TN Permaculture. No. No, no pop, no Luke Bryans, right? Nobody that puts band, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, product in their hair. None of these like pop stars that pretend to be country artists. Real hardcore speak to the people. And I, I'm going to tell you it's part of why they hate it. And I don't want to say too much on this because I want to save it to the end. I got a great quote from Ron Paul that fits with the movement this hits on perfectly. But they're terrified because they've set something in motion that is a time bomb. And they're, they are terrified of what happens when it goes off. And I think they've realized they're at a point where there's no way to defuse it. There's no way to stop it. So moving on from there, I wanted to show you this because I just thought this was hysterical. Um, let me get this up on the screen for you. Uh <laughs> So there's this thing that's been going on in, in many different parts of Europe with people gluing themselves to things. So they go into a museum and they throw red paint on a uh, like a famous portrait and then they glue themselves to the floor or the wall. And it's all in the name of climate activism. Now, the thing is, when they throw the uh, the paint on the paintings, it doesn't really do anything because when you have priceless paintings in a museum that people can actually get close enough to touch, I don't know if you know this, they actually put plexiglass over it. 
So you look through plexiglass. So they're actually throwing paint on the plexiglass and then gluing themselves to the floor. Well, they also are gluing themselves to <clears throat> infrastructure, roads, fuel tanks, and stuff like that. Well, these these ones here, they glued themselves to uh, an oil tank. But, well, let this British guy tell you what's going on here. What are, what are they achieving? Well, what they're saying is they want maximum disruption to stop the government extracting oil and gas. Yeah, but that's cooking oil. <laughs> What are, they, what are they achieving? Well, what they're saying is they want maximum disruption to stop the government extracting oil and gas. Yeah, but that's cooking oil. <laughs> there's, there's something that, that people with the British accent have going for them when they make an ass out of somebody. Where, where they, they can sound as though, you know, they're, they're, they're not being harsh. But because they sound polite when they insult you, it comes across so much more harshly. And that is a perfect example. But that's cooking oil. See, and if I say it with an American accent, whether it was a Boston, a Boston accent or a Texas accent or, or some other, you know, like South Louisiana accent, it won't matter. It will not be as harsh as the way that that very happy laughing man said it. Now, I think this is interesting for a variety of reasons. One, <coughs> it's kind of a self-correcting problem. As long as they're glued to that tank, they can't cause trouble elsewhere. And since it's not actually fuel, it's fryer oil. There's plenty of that around. Just leave them there. Leave, just, all right, you guys wanted to glue yourself to a tank? Bye. But doesn't this show you the intelligence of the average climate activist? They don't know anything. They talk about the oceans boiling for Bitcoin. They don't know how Bitcoin works. They talk about getting rid of fossil fuels with no idea the consequences to them and their, you know, their gluten-free existence if you remove fossil fuels. Any actual solution you give them, like, oh, I don't know, thorium reactor, nuclear energy, they, they don't want anything to do with it. They just want what they want, and they don't even know what that is. And that is like, that to me, when I saw that, I'm like, oh, my God. What a perfect metaphor for the whole damn movement. Complete, total ignorance to the point where you're willing to glue yourself to a tank that's actually full of oil designed to probably make French fries and fish and chips, which these people probably, well, they probably eat the French fries because that's healthy, you know, made with seed oils. So I'm actually kind of for not using seed oils for human food. So eh, maybe it's okay that they're doing this. Moving on, I want to talk about the real estate crash that I've, I've been alluding to and mentioning. And I am getting people, well, when? You know, when crash? Um, no time soon. When I did the last show about the danger to the U.S. economy, I said, you have to learn the, the, the lesson of patience from the 07, 08 bust. People that were looking at the underlying fundamentals of that were like, I can't believe it hasn't exploded yet. I can't, and it took forever to happen. And things were different then. They were actually much worse for real estate because you had an, this excess inventory and people trying to sell and not being able to sell. And people started walking away from homes long before the crash happened. And yet the market was incredibly resilient and they were able to prop it up for a long time and keep telling themselves it's not really going to happen. 
we're in a a weird situation. I don't know that the U.S. real estate market's ever been quite in this situation before. We went from historically low rates that drove real estate prices up because people do not buy, okay? They do not buy houses. They buy payments. And what I mean by that is nobody really says, well, is this house worth $250,000? What they say is they'll approve me for a mortgage for $250,000. So what can I get for that? And that's part of the psychology of knowing how to market your house. I have a book on that called The 1% Formula that I co-wrote with another party. It's available on Amazon. And that's the entire psychology that's used to sell your house. You make your house 1% better than everything on the market in your price range. Just all I have to be is 1% better. I don't have to be the best house. I have to do is look at all the houses for sale, say for 250, 350, 400, 150, doesn't matter. And then all I have to do is say, what can I do to set my house apart? Because that buyer is going to settle at that price. All buyers settle. The guy that buys a $5 million house settles. He would actually prefer like a $7 million house. He just can't afford it. But that same mentality is what's locked us into this. Everybody did that. They drove the underlying prices of these properties up because they could afford to buy so much more than they could have, let's say, 15 years earlier. 15 years ago, interest rates were 6.5%, 7%. Historically, somewhere between 5 and 7 has been considered a good interest rate. Like, not great, but 7 was okay and 5 was good. Four and a half was wow. Now you got all these people that are sitting on mortgages at somewhere between like 2.75 to three and a half points <clears throat> on houses. They bought in many instances right as the boom started during COVID. They got extra money and they went in and bought a house or in many cases, people like me sitting on a, a mortgage under 3% on a house I've held for 10 years. I have massive equity in my home. I'm not going to sell it. If I sell it, what can I do? I can buy another house just like it that will cost me more. Now, if interest rates were, you know, 4%, 3% right now, then I could sell it, take the equity and roll it into a more expensive house and have the same payment. That's how we got here because people were doing just that. Now you have all these people that are going, I got a $1,200 house payment all in. Why would I sell? We can get $300,000 for your house. Yeah, but where am I going to live? So like I said, there's less there's less than a half million homes on the market in America. We were recently, just for fun, looking for properties up by where Nicole Sauce lives. There's not much available. And what is is all kind of run down, ramshackled, um, like mobile homes and shit, or really old houses that need thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars worth just to be Decent. I wouldn't say livable. You can live in them, but you probably don't want to. There is there is no real estate crash coming soon. But eventually, eventually, you know, Jay Powell and Yellen will get what they want, which is a recession. And when they do, real estate might be the last thing really hit by it. Because I'll right now, if I have a house with a 3% mortgage on it, 
There is no place I can live cheaper. There is no way I can move slightly down. That's what people did in 07, 08, and 09, right? The person that was living in a $350,000 house, which was a back then, unless you were like in L.A. or something, it was a really nice house. What they did is they walked their mortgage. They went a few neighborhoods over, and they rented a 3-2 for 900 bucks. And they said, we're not happy about it, but that works. The math works. Well, now that 3-2 rental house is 2500 bucks. If I'm sitting on a mortgage that's less than that, I'll die before I don't figure out how to pay that mortgage because I know what's on the other end of it. There's there's one-bedroom apartments. Now, they're nice ones, but one-bedroom apartments in, like, the upper-scale part of uh, Fort Worth right now, 1600 1800 bucks. One bedroom. One bedroom. That's more than my house payment on, on a three-acre property with a 2,500-square-foot house. Why would I sell? So... We're in this really weird economic conundrum right now, but it's going to it's going to come to some sort of crescendo eventually. But just don't expect like if you're waiting to buy a house because you're waiting for this crash, don't expect it anytime soon. And in a way, that's good because I'm going to tell you what you're going to need to capitalize on it. Lots and lots of capital. Because the next crash is also going to come with a very much of a tightening up on capital that we're already seeing, by the way. Just watching my son and daughter-in-law try to buy a decent used car right now. They have good credit. They have good income. And the interest rates that they're getting quoted on are like 12%. Bank will say they'll do it for about 5 to 6%, but they can't get approved. And they don't really get a straight, straight answer as to why. They're working on it. They about have it solved. But... This is something that's drawn out for a month that three years ago, they would have just walked in, said, yeah, we want that car. What, what, what do you, here's, here's six grand down on it. Cause that's their down. They have a big down payment. They're, they're shopping for an $18,000 ish car with a $6,000 down payment, a third down. And it's hard. What do you think it's like trying to get financing for a small business to make payroll right now? This is the plan destruction. And somebody said here in the chat that it was to make us more dependent on government. It is. It's exactly the plan. Moving on. Um, let's talk about brain drain and what that is. And <clears throat> the fact that it can happen in the United States, and we don't think about it happening in the United States. But right now, Seattle is one of the top U.S. cities where residents are considering moving over safety worries, survey fines. So it's not just money. Like, it's been very common for these really expensive, especially West Coast and Northeastern cities, for people to finally go, look, I'm tired of paying these assholes all this huge amount of city and, and, and state tax on my income and my property. And everything just is more expensive here. And if I move to Nebraska or I move to Florida or I move to Tennessee or I move to Texas, I can take a pay cut of 30% but have a real life financial gain of about 60. I could actually take a 30% cut in pay, but end up 60% better off as far as what I get for my money on a house, how much I pay in taxes, et cetera. So that's been, it's been a meme for 10 years now, a heavy meme for 10 years. These cities have been bleeding population about the only thing that's pu pumping their populations and keeping them from showing the real decline 
is the number of illegal immigrants and homeless people that have moved into these cities because these cities have made it easy to be homeless. So you get more homeless. Well, that's not what's pushing people out now. Fear for their safety is pushing them out now. Fear for their safety. Now, what, what, that, what does that sound like? What do you call people who leave their homes because they're afraid of what will happen to them if they stay put? What's the word, the overused word now that applies to every single immigrant? Starts with an R. What is that word? That word is refugee. When people like think a war's about to happen and they're like, screw this, I am out of here. And they go from one country to another, we call them refugees. If a certain class, political class or ethnic class or religious class of people are being threatened with violence and they leave to get away, we call that refugees. And refugee situations are not what the TV tells you. A whole bunch of poor people walking through a desert. Refugee situations are often people that have means. And that's why they're able to become refugees. They're able to get get out, to get out, get out, get out. In the United States, we have something that's pretty unique in what's the vestiges of our republic, in that your life can drastically change by moving across a single state border. And it doesn't mean there aren't problems in states like Texas, because we have them. Plenty of them. It doesn't mean there's not violent crime in places like Austin or South Dallas, because there is. There's parts of Houston I wouldn't go near. I mean, I just wouldn't go near. And there's other parts of Houston that are great. So we have these problems, too. But we we tend to have them in these isolated areas, and you can know the place that's dangerous. And we don't have people shitting on the stoops of businesses. And the business owner told, if you touch that person... Shitting on your front porch will lock you up, not them. You know, I, I'm sure everybody saw last week the uh, 7-Eleven owners that beat the shit out of a dude that was stealing cigarettes. This dude was stealing like thousands of dollars in cigarettes, just loading up. I'm sure you guys saw it, right? Loading up like a garbage can on wheels with just as much as he wanted. And they kept telling him no. And some other dudes in the background going, yeah, man, but there's nothing you can do. you got to wait for the police. You got to wait for the polis, man. They're like, no. They went freaking Haji Kane on his ass. One dude grabs him, holds him down. The other dude picks up what looked like a broomstick to me. And basically Kane the shit out of this dude, old school style. Well, they want to bring charges against these men now for defending their own property. When people see that, they start leaving. But who leaves? Now, I'm not talking about the richest people. Rich people live in la-la land. When I say rich people, I'm talking about multimillionaires and up. The people that live in the gated communities, some of them may leave too, but a lot of them will stay because they get to live in their own little world, their own perfect little bubble. They have their own private security. They have well-funded police departments while they defund the police in their own cities. They may stay. But what I'm talking about is the people that know how to, like, Fix electrical systems. The people that know how to bolt shit together. The people that have a skill set that's real world, that know how to fix problems, they're the first people to leave in a refugee situation. They know I can go anywhere. 
If you're a plumber and a good one, you can get a job anywhere in the country. If you're a nurse and a decent one, you can get a job anywhere in the country. If you're a doctor, you damn sure can. If you're a pipe fitter, an electrician, you work on auto, you know, on cars, you're a mechanic. All of these people can pick up and move tomorrow and have a job. They're the people that keep cities and towns running and they're leaving. And that's why this is only going to get worse for these, these cities like Seattle, Portland, L.A., San Francisco. They're literally dying. Now, what is the solution that the orange man has to this? What does he think we should do to fix our problems? Well, should we, like, fix these decaying, disparate, crappy cities? Or should we say, hey, like, clearly, when a city gets too large, this is what happens. And so we should invest in, like, small-town America. And we should, like, build up, like, mid-sized cities to be resilient but have limits to their growth. Oh, no. No, no, no. The orange man, Donald Trump, his plan, he wants to build 10 new megacities in America. He's making it like his moonshot speech. Remember Kennedy? Put a man on the moon and return him safely to Earth. Trump wants to build 10 cities. Now, what's interesting to me, what's very interesting to me, is that the average Trump supporter loathes big cities. They absolutely loathe big cities. They hate big cities. They tend not to live in them. Even if they have to live near one, they tend to live out past the Beltway suburbs if they can find any way to do it. And if they do live in like a city or its suburbs, their real goal in life is to figure out how to get the hell out. They have very good reasons for this. It's one of the most logical things that particular uh, political demographic Spouses live in the country, rural, try that in a small town, all of it. The mental gymnastics they're doing now to defend their orange man and this stupid idiotic idea is Olympic level. It's Olympic level mental gymnastics. Their brains are literally coming out. Their medulla oblongata is like grabbing onto a, an, a, a, a set of like parallel rings and doing flips and making perfect dismounts and going back in to what's left of their, their empty head. It, it's unbelievable how they'll shift every core belief they have, including ones that are well-grounded, because their side requires them to. And that's, that's something going on in America. Now, while this is all going on, the president of the United States, Brandon, Brandon Brown Shorts, he's at the beach and riding a bicycle. The press is asking him about the fires in Hawaii. His response is no comment, and we're going to look into that. Now, anybody with a functioning brain that's a politician running a country, I mean, hell, a senator, a mayor, when asked about this, even if they don't believe it, would at least feign compassion. It's a horrible thing, and we're going to make sure that those people get help, the help that they need and the help that they deserve. That's all he had to say. No, he says no comment. No comment. So Trump wants to build 10 new cities while other cities burn to the ground, and Biden doesn't care when they burn to the ground. And the political fight ensues. 
But what is your lesson? What is your lesson from what's going on in Hawaii right now? Massive fires. An entire city just gone. The initial estimates were like 40 dead. Then it was 80 dead. We're not really sure. But what I'm being told by people who live there is the number of dead exceeds any number that we're being told. We're being lied to. Again, shocking. I know. Shocking. But the real lesson isn't the government lies. It isn't the government doesn't care. You should know that by now. If you're like over five years old, you should know government lies and the government doesn't care about you. You should already know that. The big lesson here is even in a pristine paradise, with all modern fire suppression systems, great, I'm sure they have a great fire department and what have you, something can happen that there is no way to stop. And no matter where you live, there is a potential for massive, and I mean massive, natural disasters. There's people, of course, the conspiracy theorists, it was done by the government with HARP or some shit. And their logic behind that is some of the boats on the water burned. Those are people that shouldn't talk to other people. If you don't understand how that happens. These weren't boats out at sea. These were boats and slips. When you get this kind of fire, one of the reasons this is so horrifying is it literally starts to create its own weather system. It creates vortexes and tornadoes and wind currents, and the air can literally get hot enough to ignite structures, including the part of the boat that's above the water. It's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying what happens in a fire event of this magnitude. And Andy, it's interesting Andy just said Dresden. Because I just watched, there's a World War II, like biggest moments in World War II in color uh, documentary put out by the BBC. And it's on Netflix. And just this weekend, I watched the episode about Dresden. It's exactly what I'm talking about. Dresden turned into a firestorm. It was an absolute war crime. It was an absolute war crime. It's something to look into if you don't know the story of Dresden. But that's what just happened in, in Hawaii. That's what just happened in Hawaii. And that's your lesson. You need a plan for this shit. This came in so fast. Think about the fact that people died in this city. This very wealthy, very beautiful, very modern city on the coast from fire because it moved that fast. You need to pay attention to what's going around on around on around you at all times. Right now, we are in major danger for grass fires where I live. You know, people would look at my lawn and go, man, it's all brown, and clearly you cut it before it went brown. Why would you do that? Because I don't want 10-inch grass or 6-inch grass or foot-high grass that is dead if this happens. I don't want the fuel. I want to be able to try to save my home if I can. I'm also ready to get the hell out of here in a heartbeat if I have no choice. And we pay attention. We pay an ongoing attention to what's around us. We're always looking. Is there smoke somewhere in the sky? Long before anybody says anything on a scanner. We've seen it happen before. It's just never gotten here. 
And we have plans of how to try to protect ourselves. But that's one disaster. Every year, every spring, tornadoes are a thing here. That there's not a lot you can do except take shelter and hope. Don't ever be complacent. Because, again, I guarantee you, if you went into this town two days before this happened and said, you know, there's some fires that could come here, I think the average person would have said, sure, yeah, but they'll put it out. I mean, that happens in the forest. It doesn't happen here. Look how green everything is. Water's right there. One of the reasons that it was so bad, and I'm not blaming people for it, but it was complacency. Now, I won't blame the local government yet because I don't speak before I look into things, and I haven't looked into this yet. I don't know how bad they fell down on the job. But I know individuals are responsible for themselves above all things. And I guarantee you, Right. I guarantee you. There was a level of complacency and people that were injured and died didn't have to had they simply acted quicker. But they didn't believe that it was going to happen to them. And sadly, this happens all the time. Always happens. Um, let's also talk about the government a little bit more. So. With everything that's been going on in Russia. And the Russia-Ukraine war. Our leaders seem to have one plan and only one plan. And that is spend more money. Spend more money. I just listened to an interview with a Ukrainian commander. Fresh off the counteroffensive. And here's what this guy basically said. Now, this is an older guy. And this is a commander of a battalion. Right. This isn't some conscript off the street. This is a commander of a serious military unit there. And he said a couple things. One was it wasn't a counteroffensive because we countered and offended nothing. We accomplished nothing. We've got a few kilometers here and there of meaningless ground. Next thing he said was I got no instructions. They basically said take your unit and go here and attack. No idea of what the strategic goal is. Now, it's common for a private or even a sergeant to not know the overall strategic reason behind what they're asked to do. Go take that hill, whatever. They have no idea what commanders are doing, sitting back going, if we take this position, we have, you know, superiority and elevation and we can attack this. They have no idea the strategy because they're not supposed to. You just you do your thing. It's a division of labor in the military. But a commander at a battalion level commander would certainly, if there was a plan, know what it is. He basically said. Our, the plan was for us to die. They sent me in by, with my men and we got killed. We got slaughtered. That's what happened. He said one of his units, because he's like a battalion, so he's got multiple platoons and companies. One of his units of like elite fighters with something like 120 some men. You could tell it really affected him. He said there's about 20 of them that made it. 120 men, I guess probably a company, elite fighting force, lost a more than 100 men. And started out with only 100, like 129, I think. He said it was like 129 and 21 were left at the end of the day. 
and they accomplished nothing. And they had no idea why they were doing what they were doing. So my whole point there is we have a problem in Ukraine. We have an insurmountable force in the Russian lines that's been set up very clearly to be that and that alone. Unlike a lot of people that talk about the subject, actually listen to what everybody's saying. And I, I read an article recently where a Russian conscript was interviewed, just back from the front, basically kind of did his time, and you're out, you bring somebody else in to do your job. And he said, we're, we didn't really see combat because the reserves, all these conscripts are being put in their reserve forces on the second and third lines. And all the conflict is out in front of us on the front lines, and they never get through. So it's scary as shit. Didn't really want to be there, but it was my duty, so I did it. But, yeah, we never really saw any direct conflict whatsoever. They're not getting past those front lines at all. The areas they took land, it was basically given to them. Like, we're not going to... We're not going to do this. We're not ready to try to hold this place right now. So we'll just back up to here. You can sit out there and we'll kill you from from where we sit. That's what's going on. Now, I know some of you get very mad at me when I tell you the truth about Ukraine. I'm sorry. I'm still going to tell you the truth. But there's a bigger issue here. You now have a point where, whether you believe this or not, Ukraine is literally going out in the streets, grabbing any male that seems like they might have enough physical capability to be in the military, grabbing them and abducting them, throwing them in vans. They're giving them four to six weeks of training. I mean, when I was in basic, basic was eight weeks. Then you had your your military professional school, your MOS, your AIT. And I think mine was like four months, It's like 12 weeks. So eight weeks plus 12 weeks, right? So 20 weeks of training before I went out to go do my job. These guys are getting four to six weeks, and most of these people have no experience at all. If you contrast this with the Russians, I think one of the things that people don't know about Russia, Russia has compulsory military service for males. Now, not everybody does it, but most of them do. Two years. Two years, you serve in some branch of the military, generally the Army. Now, what does that mean when your country decides it needs to reinstate a draft and start bringing people in to actually send them off to war. That means they have a huge, massive amount of males with military training and experience. You don't have to teach them to march, how to wear a uniform, how to take care of their equipment, how to shoot, how to move, how to communicate. That's what they have. That's what they have. And life, I'm about to show you, has pretty much gone on like normal in most of Russia. This is actually a very small area where all this is happening, by the way. It's not all of Ukraine. Those of you that think like there's a war in Kiev and Brandon is a hero because he went to Kiev. Nothing's happening in Kiev at all. Nothing. This is all the Donbass region. It's a very small piece of Ukraine. But my point in bringing this up today isn't the horror that is Ukraine. Not today. It's our government's view. Well, if we just send more money... Surely that'll fix it. See, that's the only thing your government thinks is a solution to anything is spend more money on it. Don't you hear it in everything? School system sucks. Well, teachers are underpaid. Spend more money. Okay, wait a minute. How much more? And what's the result? We'd never have that conversation. Never have that conversation. Think about any problem. The roads suck. 
spend more money on roads. What roads? What will the money do? How will we account for the money? How will we make sure the money is not wasted? How do we make sure the places that are most in need of repair and upgrade get fixed instead of building a turtle tunnel in Florida for $9 million? How do we prevent during the stimulus, right? The big 0809 stimulus, right? The bailout, all these roads and shit that we're going to get built. Right where I lived in Arlington, they put a big sign out, paid for with your stimulus dollars, getting the economy back on track. There was about six pieces of heavy equipment, like a mid-sized Mini-X, a dozer, a Bobcat, and some other shit, some cones. They set them all up. That shit sat there for six months. None of it ever did anything. None of it ever did anything. And then one day it all just disappeared. And everybody looked around and said, well, what did they do? They took the money. They rented equipment with it to qualify for the other money and did nothing. And nothing ever, there was no, nothing was ever held accountable. What do you get when you take a system that is flawed and put more money into it? What do you get when you take an education system that's failing at every measurable level to do what we're told it's supposed to do? And you add more money to it, more failure, bigger failure, more spectacular failure. Teachers that are grateful for a raise for about a week and then go back to we're underpaid heroes that don't wear capes. So what do you get when you take a country that's destroyed almost an entire two generations of men as cannon fodder and is out of people to fight their war and give them more money, more death, more destruction, more waste. That's what you get. But of course your government would do that. They don't care. Now you want some conspiracy theory? You want to put some foil on what I think the plan is? So Europe is overwhelmed with refugees. Overwhelmed. Like France, there's parts of France that look like McMoot, right? Like it's awful. Awful. Need some place for them to go. Can't send them back to North Africa or wherever they're from. That would be, well, that would be wrong. Right. The refugees are welcome here. Chant would tell me. But what if there was a place for them to go? You know, like a country that needed to be rebuilt after it was completely destroyed and was lacking in manpower to even fix its own country. Well, then they would might just go there on their own. What if you said, you know what? Hmm. I have a I have an idea here. There's a hard red line with Russia. No NATO for Ukraine. What if eventually when they, because they're going to have to go to the bargaining table at some point, they say, to Ru- they say to Putin, okay, we hear you. No NATO. EU. Ukraine joins the EU, but not NATO. Now, Putin's not going to like this, but he might very well, well go for it. And I'll tell you what, what else Putin wouldn't do. When, when the war is settled... If, if the EU says, well, we're going to take NATO in or we're going to take in Ukraine no matter what, Putin's not going to go back to war over that. Not after the cost of this. If he gets Donbass, which he's going to, even though he might saber rattle and be all mad and pissy, he's not going to go back to war over that. NATO, that's a red line. He might. But EU, again, upset, angry, gnashing of teeth, whatever. Well, what happens 
when a nation joins the EU. What does it mean? If you're legally in France, you can legally go to Spain. That's what it means. You can go legally go to Germany. You can travel very similar to how we do in the United States. So if you brought Ukraine into the EU, well, look at all these great jobs you can get over there, guys. Ukraine will become the refugee dumping ground. Just that's my prediction there. Um, now, what's Russia doing? Russia has learned a lesson, something the United States is not good at. Russia's rebuilding its internal manufacturing, its internal infrastructure, its internal production, and it's focusing on Russia. Now, you won't hear me any time go, ladies and gentlemen, I've decided I'm getting the hell out of this hell hole and I'm moving to Russia. I've looked at what life in Russia is like. It's probably nothing like you think it is or the TV says, but it's not the greatest place in the world to live. The average Russian makes about $500 a month. If you do the conversion, um, they don't live really well, but they live okay. But they're kind of a somber people. There's a lot of things you can't get, but it's a life that these people have had for a very long time. And the average Russian is very proud to be Russian. I've talked about Russian patriotism before. And right now we're making a big deal about the fact that the ruble has weakened further against the dollar. You know what the average Russian says? I don't care. I don't care. And people say, oh, it's propaganda. No, wait a minute. What's the exchange rate between dollars and yen? What's the exchange rate right now between dollars and pounds? Without looking it up, what's the exchange rate between the dollar and the euro or the dollar and the Canadian dollar? What's the exchange rate between the dollar and the Australian dollar right now? Has, has your dollar gone up or down versus the Canadian dollar, the Australian dollar, the Great British pound or the euro in the past three months? Most of you don't know. You don't care either. On a macroeconomic level, there is something to that in that if you have a weak currency, you have a good export economy. If you have a strong currency, you have a good import economy. There are some macroeconomic things that do matter. But in general, no one really cares. What do my ruples buy in New York City? They care. What do my ruples buy in St. Petersburg or Moscow or Kants? Just like you care what your dollars buy where you live. And we've not learned this lesson. Russia's rebuilding its aircraft industry. Okay. Russia is rebuilding its ability to provide as much for itself as possible within the borders of Russia because we put them in a position where that's their only real choice. They learn from it. Our country should have learned about our dependence on China in COVID, if not sooner, but definitely during COVID. Some of the information that came out about how easily we could be choked to literal death by the Chinese, just from our ability to manufacture pharmaceuticals. The raw materials for almost all of our antibiotics are made in China. They don't have to be. They don't have to be. Even if we don't want to make them here, 
because it's like safety and regulation is why we it's not it's not direct cost. It's indirect cost. That's why we we make all this shit in other countries. That's why all our solar panels are made in China, because the environmental regulations that the solar panels are meant to sort the environmental problems, the solar panels are meant to fix. Well, when you actually make the solar panels, it's a pretty disgusting business. That's why they're all made in China, where it's okay to pollute so that we can feel good about our greenness over here. So that's why we do it. But we could we could be getting, you know, half of that material from, let's say, India. But we choose to get it from China. But we could be doing almost all this stuff here domestically, but we don't want to. If people that don't even want to work as it is. That's why we have a shitty economy, but a very low unemployment number. It's insane. It's because a lot of if you, people have already decided if I can exist without working, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. Do you know what the number one retirement plan in my old hometown is? Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Get on disability. They actually call it being retired. I've talked to people that I went to high school with. I'm 51 years old. So if you went to high school with me, you're somewhere between like 38. I'm sorry, not 38, 48 and 54, right? Depending on who was a freshman when, who was a senior when. People I went to high school with. I talked to them. I'm retired now. And you're thinking about who this guy is and the family he's from. Like he worked at a concrete plant. You're 50. How are you retired? Oh, I'm on disability permanently. Two grand a month, something like that. And they don't work. They go on welfare for the rest of their life. They don't call it welfare. There's a vestige of pride left in these towns. They call it retired. Well, what are you going to do? I got hurt. My sister's husband lost his foot, part of his foot, type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes. Completely curable. From, according to my dad, still guzzling two liters soda bottles after losing his foot to type 2 diabetes. On disability for the rest of his life. He was a crane operator. Sensitivity in your feet is a big piece of that, right? So he, he, he got on this disability. Now, you tell me that this man couldn't work. Maybe he couldn't do his old profession running these cranes. Tell me there's nothing a guy can do because he lost a half of a foot. I, I remember I worked with a guy at Lockheed. That literally, he could move his hands, but not his arms. He was in a wheelchair. He moved it with like a joystick, and he had like this keyboard in two parts that he could move his fingers with. And he held down a, a legitimate job, not being able to walk. My, I guess, brother-in-law is retired because he lost half his foot to soda that he's still drinking. This is the society we live in today. Sick. Can't meet our recruiting goals for the military for a variety of reasons. But one is somewhere between 20 and 25 percent of males between the age of 18 and 26, which is your primary recruiting demographic, are fit to serve in the military. A lot of them are just out of shape and fat. But a lot of them, they can't serve because they were on drugs in school for ADHD and they're disqualified from service from the drugs that they were told they needed so they could sit down and pay attention and be a member of society in good standing. 
and we've learned nothing. Russia's smarter than us. I didn't say better, I said smarter. They're behaving more intelligently as a nation than we are. Russia. When I was a kid in school, if you told me that one day I would be saying that as a public personality, I would have thought you were insane, and I would have been wrong. Now, let's move on to something else. How about AI? I know a lot of you hate it. I don't care. It is what it is. It's not going away, but it is going to shift. Chat GPT <clears throat> costs about $700,000 a day to run that company. There's not that many people in it. That's not payroll and benefits. You know what that is? That is giant, massive banks of computers. And what you're going to see is what the article that came out that most people didn't read. We have no moat. Remember that? We have no moat. And the media made like <clears throat> Google was saying AI is going to get out and kill us all. It's going to, you know, decide it wants to make paper clips and turn the planet into paperclip planet or something like that. Where what we have no moat really meant was anybody anywhere could build this stuff faster and cheaper and maybe not better, but almost as good as we can. And people are going to build AIs that are custom trained for what they need, not one AI to rule them all. Well, this is why that's going to happen. This is what I don't think people understand. You go to ChatGPT, use the free version. You say, give me a list of uh, heirloom apples, at least 25 varieties. And he goes, bah, 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 bah. now you could have went to Google and ran that search yourself. And it would have been a very low-cost transaction for Google to make. Because Google just has a database and it makes a query and says, here's a list of websites, go find your own shit. When you make that command in a chat GPT, a whole shitload of GPUs go, and we're away. Massive computing power is used. And that's probably 10 cents, 15 cents, 20 cents in energy cost. Let's not even talk about the underlying hardware costs. I have a computer sitting on my desk here. It's a few thousand dollar computer. That's a hard cost. I pay for it once. It's done. But whenever I'm doing something with it, it's pulling energy. And there's a great big processor in there going. Imagine hundreds of those running like, oh, I don't know, Bitcoin mining, sort of. That's what this is. It's a massive energy drain. And that's why it's so expensive. And what I found really interesting is uh, Guy Swan has a, uh, a second podcast called AI Unchained, in addition to Bitcoin Audible. He just was discussing this with a guest. It was like an hour and 45 minutes. It was a fascinating podcast. It's in the audio show notes that you'll be able to get after this live stream ends. I, I highly recommend listening to it. But this is why we're going to end up where people federate and share computer resources and are compensated to provide access to AI units and the AI units themselves are going to be compensated. It's going to be a really interesting time to be alive. And I'm just going to, I brought it up today just to show you it probably isn't what you think it is because if you think chat GPT is going to go terminator on us, where's it going to get all the energy? It's going to turn us all into energizers and put us in pods. Now, I don't think so Skippy. I don't think life really works that way. And what we're talking about is creating a synthetic form of life that, like any form of life, has to follow certain rules within the universe on growth and expansion. 
And so this is going to be something that if you don't understand it, again, it will be used against you, but it will be used to compete against you as well. When this first came out, I told my wife, since we homeschool our grandkids, my grandson, poor work ethic, especially writing assignments and stuff like that. So he can't know this exists. Two months later, I'm like, we have to teach him how to use this properly. He has to know how to use this because if he doesn't, he's going to get creamed by his competition. I mean, we'll still make him write his own shit, but we'll also teach him how to use this. Just like I'll teach you how to manually do a math calculation and show you how to do it with a calculator. All right, moving on. There's more talk of lockdowns. More talk of lockdowns. And this is uh, this is really interesting to me anyway, that this is what they're choosing to talk about in Europe right now. Let me get this tab up for you guys here. It's something called Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever. Now, the reason for this is, is back during World War II, some of the troops in Crimea started getting this disease. They didn't understand where it was from. And there was a very similar disease that had showed up in Congo. So that's what created the name. It really doesn't make sense. And the disease in Congo is not this disease. And they keep talking about, if you look like this is on uh, the, the World Health Organization, the outbreaks have case fatality rates up to 40%. It's a very interesting number because it's 10 to 40%. Other sources will say 60%. Well, part of the reason that it's so high is that it is deadly, but it also doesn't happen in very large numbers. So since it doesn't happen in large numbers, you pretty much know all the cases and all the deaths to attribute to it. It's also transmitted by ticks. Yes, ticks. And the, what they're saying about it in the UK right now is it's already in Spain. Well, there were two cases of it in Spain. One was in like, or two like minor outbreaks in Spain. One was in like 2011 and the other was like 2016. And there haven't been any recently, but they're talking about it like it's, it's in Spain. It will come and get you in Britain next. And they're talking about having to do lockdowns for this in the coming winter which makes no sense. I'll just ask any of you that live someplace where ticks are, are there more ticks in the summer or the winter? So they have the, the lockdown narrative, the mask narrative, vaccine passports, even though they say there's no vaccine for this, all of that shit going on British TV right now. Isn't that interesting? You're not locking me down because of a disease carried by ticks in Europe. It's not happening here. I don't think America is willing to tolerate this again. I really don't. I think they're going to push the same narrative here, but they're going to push it in relation to COVID and RSV and the flu. But I don't think it's going to go very well here, and we'll save my thoughts on that for a minute. But I actually see something far more nefarious than this. If you read into the literature on this, you'll find out, number one, there's three pharmaceutical companies waiting for approval on their patents for a vaccine for this illness in the United States. Say it again. Three pharmaceutical companies have patents pending for approval with CDC for a vaccine for this illness. 
They also have a vaccine for this illness in Europe that's made from mouse brain. Yeah, I don't, I'm not real hip on getting a mouse brain vaccine for something that's probably pretty real, low risk that I'll ever get. But they keep breeding. Well, the number one risk, of course, is to people with livestock. See, the cow gets the tick, and then the tick gets on you. Hmm. What's the big push in Europe right now? Closing down farming and closing down meat production. I think that's what they're really going to do with this. They're going to hype it. Well, ah, we don't have to lock you down, but boy, you better be careful of that hamburger. Even though no one has ever gotten this disease by eating meat, they're going to infer that. Just like they did with swine flu, right? Like they're going to push the vegan, vegetarian agenda, eat the bugs. You know, the bugs could kill you, so eat the bugs. It's, and, uh, Permethrin, Joe's saying, there, yeah, there's plenty of ways to get rid of ticks on animals. We use a treatment that we put on their necks. They never have fleas or ticks, or just our dogs I'm talking about. There's plenty of ways to handle this. The fact that it's tick-borne is actually a good thing because you can take countermeasures to ticks. But this is not new. This has been known about at least since World War II. It's in Spain already. It was in Spain in 2016. And it hasn't been since. This isn't a problem, but yet the British television and the European televisions are running this narrative that we may have lockdowns again because of this. In winter, when ticks die and go dormant. Yeah, I'm not eating the bugs for the country. I bet you're not either. Um, now, what I want to end with is where I think we're headed in our country. And this book ends back um, to Richmond, north of Richmond. This is his name. Oliver Henry, I think, is his name. Um, we are either headed for a full-on fuck-around-and-find-out insurrection or mass idiotic compliance. And I actually think we're headed for both. I think we're headed for a, a true bifurcation in this country that already exists. And I think it's less about political party and more about how you want to live and where you want to live. I think there's a lot of rural Democrats that are not about all this crazy shit either. Like I said, there's a very big populist move under the surface here. And I think the insurrection you're going to see is going to be less storming Capitol buildings and shit like that. Though I think some of that will happen. And more just, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. Do you want to impose this restriction? That's fine. We're not doing it here. Try that in a small town, right? Like, you're going to tell people what they have to do, but a lot of people just aren't. Well, we'll send the cops. Well, I think a lot of the cops are like, yeah, we're not doing it either. Even in big cities, like the, the, the police chief of Houston, like just these big departments have multiple chiefs, like the head chief, the senior chief, right? When COVID was going on and they passed this ordinance about masking in Houston and it said you would get a ticket and removed from, from uh, public places by the cops if you didn't have a mask on. And a lot of people complied and a lot of people didn't. And the mayor was like, you need to enforce the law and the police chief told the mayor to shove his mask orders up his ass 
He said, it's not even that I'm not pro-mask. He's, I don't have time for this. This is not my job. And I'm not directing my officers to do this. And that was the height of the nonsense where the true believers were in force. I don't think you get that again. I think the blessing of COVID is how heavily they overplayed their hand. And now they're trying to pretend they didn't. We didn't have real-time death counters on the TV screen. You're hallucinating. I've, I've literally heard talking heads say, that, that never happened. That's a conspiracy theory. Okay, maybe like in the first week or so, but it wasn't an ongoing thing that lasted months. Yes, it was. You remember, you're not hallucinating. No one made you get a vaccine. You threatened my job, my ability to travel, my ability to go to grocery stores, my ability to exist in public, but no one made me. Now, plenty of us didn't, but it was easy for us to sit back and say, don't do it. When we weren't the one with a job, we were told you will be fired with three kids to feed and no idea how we were going to feed them if we lost our job. That person made a decision that they often regretted, but they felt they had no choice. You weren't one of the many people, over 100 million Americans, that fell under Biden's executive order, that was shot down by the courts. You cannot do this. But employers said, since they're mandating it, we have to. And yes, you will be fired if you don't do it. And sure, it ended up struck down by the courts. You cannot do this. But it didn't matter because you can never be unvaccinated. There, there's no such thing as unvaccinated. There's vaccinated and not vaccinated. You can't unvaccinate somebody, right? Unvaccinated means we undid it, we reversed it. And I know un can like unopened package means it's not yet opened. I, I understand that you can play with the words a little bit. But to me, this is important. I am not unvaccinated. I am not vaccinated in that particular vaccine anyway. And no, you didn't make me do it. But I, I can't tell you how many people I know that were serving in the military that refused and, and lost their careers. Some years, one or two, three years from full retirement, thrown out for refuse, but nobody made you. They're all pretending this didn't happen. Nobody was attacked or arrested for not wearing a mask. You're crazy. Like it never happened. Nobody put masks on crying autistic two-year-olds. That never happened. It wasn't fake hysteria. We didn't lie and say that hospitals were renting refrigeration vans because their morgues were overfull. We never, we never said that. We never lied and said that hospitals added on space because there were no beds left. We never said that, even though it was a lie. We never said it. No, you did. And people haven't forgotten. People haven't forgotten. And I think that's where we're headed. And this is the quote from Ron Paul I want to read here. There's a rumbling in the heartland, and anger is building. Harnessing that anger and converting it into positive and constructive energy could have a favorable consequence Beyond our imagination, it's time to become energized, not despondent, over the tragic mess that has been imposed on us, Dr. Ron Paul. Well said, sir. And I agree. 
That's the insurrection I'm talking about. If you look at what they hate and what they like, they call this song white supremacist. One guy on Twitter said, well, clearly it is. Richmond was the capital of the Confederacy. So all the problems are people were north of the Confederacy. It's like, get a globe, asshole. DC's there. It's about them. But try that in a small town, racist, racist and white supremacist. But you know what else is racist or white supremacist? These are real, these are real stories. You can look them up. Getting up early in the morning has its roots in white supremacy. I shit you not. Traditional, poofy, pretty, feminine dresses are white supremacist. Coffee? Totally white supremacist. Paleo, keto, primal, carnivore? Oh, that's super white supremacist. Working out and being physically fit? White supremacist. Not doing everything that the doctor says and taking all the drugs they say you should be taking? White supremacist. Being opposed to fat people eating Twinkies? White supremacist. You notice in that song, yes, working out is white supremacist, uh, Thermoplex. Absolutely. Math. Yes, math is white supremacist. Go look it up. You think I'm kidding? It's all white supremacist. It's all racist. Math is white supremacy. Trying hard to get good grades, white supremacy. Using a GIF with a black person in it, if you're not black, white supremacist. Wearing a football jersey of a person of color as a player, if you're not of color yourself, white supremacy. So if, if I, for some reason, bumped my head really hard and, thought Dak Prescott was a good quarterback and became a Cowboys fan and wore a Dak Prescott jersey, that would make me white supremacist. Where you would think, like, this is backwards. It's on its head, right? Because a white supremacist would never want to wear the jersey of a black player. Like, they've made everything ridiculous. But if you look at what they really hate, it's the truth. They are angry that you dare talk about child trafficking and you dare talk about pedophilia. Why would you be opposed to this? If there was a single issue that you would think would unite people across all party lines, all political ideology, it would be protecting children from pedophiles. But no, they want to protect pedophiles from being discriminated against. We'll just call them minor attractive persons. The truth is white supremacist. Liberty Garden said that. Pretty much. The truth is white supremacy. Isn't that the truth? They hate the truth. Think about everything they're telling you to do. Live in the city. Don't grow your own food. Don't do your own research. Take all the drugs. All the drugs. When a drug causes a, a, a side effect, don't stop taking it. Take another drug to make the side effect go away. Don't eat nutritious food. Eat bugs, garbage, and Twinkies. You notice they want you to not eat steak. But when this guy said in this song, right, he said, if you're five foot three and 300 pounds, tax dollars shouldn't be paying for your chocolate rounds. And you know what they said? The people that are upset with it, it's punching down on the poor. 
Now, wait a minute. I think it would be a very positive message to tell a person five foot three, that's 300 pounds, don't eat that. Don't eat that. Why do we have obese people on welfare? I'm not punching down on somebody that's poor or on welfare here. Why do we have the poorest people, the fattest in society? I mean, if you look it up, the demographic is clear. You know, they have the cartoonish idea of the super rich fat guy. Rich people are in shape. In general, some aren't. But as a demographic, wealthy people tend to be much physically healthier than poor people. Oh, they have more access to medical care. Bullshit. All these people on welfare have Medicaid. They go to the doctor when they stub their toe because their toe turns blue and starts to fall off because they have diabetes. But what is the what is the best course of action for a five foot three, 300 pound person? I don't care if it's not keto or paleo or carnivore or whatever. Like, eat better. Eat some salad, man. Some good quality protein and some salad. Stop eating Twinkies. But it, you're a white supremacist if you say stop eating Twinkies. They have set up society so that we cannot communicate with each other anymore. That's what they've done. They've made it impossible to sit down with your fellow man and go, let's work out, what, well, let's, let's talk about what we agree on. What do you agree on with somebody that says it's okay to have a drag queen show where five-year-olds are present and the drag queen whips his junk out because he is a he and shakes his penis in the face of a child? And if you say that's not okay, you're a bigot. How do you, you can't. That's the plan, man. They have expertly done this. You know, I was talking about the school system earlier. And I said, what we, by every measurable thing we think the system is supposed to do, it's a failure. So putting more money in it will give us more failure. But I, I, I characterized it that way. I left myself a place to go back to with that statement. Why? Because the purpose of a system is what it does. You think the school system is broken. I think it's bad, but I don't think it's broken. I think the purpose of it is to do what it does, to warp the minds of young people, to turn them against their parents, and for the ones that independently think and refuse to comply to be ostracized by the compliers. The purpose of the current school system in America is not to educate children. It is not to raise children into young adults who are capable of functioning in society. It is to create a bifurcated society that hates each other and is incapable of communicating with each other. And if you're a teacher and you get mad when I talk like this, tough shit, that's the system you're part of. That's just, and you need to come to grips with that. I'm very proud of my military service. But what the military does today is a, it's awful. I had to accept that. I mentioned it before. I'll say it again today, though. I turned down a chance to do a jump with the Golden Knights, the Army Golden Knights parachute team. Turned it down. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. It was a bucket list. Dream thing for me. I mean, you're talking about the elite of the Army Airborne. And to jump out of a plane in my 50s with that team. Oh, man. 
But then I said to myself, what's the purpose of the Golden Knights? It's recruitment. Nothing against the men doing it, but that's the system they're in. They're in a system that threw out a wonderful friend of mine, a lieutenant colonel, just a couple of years shy of his retirement. He got nothing because he's on the old retirement system. They threw him out because he would not get a vaccine that was untested and unproven. And we know now didn't work. And it's not like they said, oh, we're sorry. You can have your career back and finish. No. Completely threw him out like a Kleenex. And you want me to participate? You want me to participate in a recruiting stunt for that? I have another good friend currently serving. One of the most outstanding people I know. An exceptional soldier. He's on the old retirement program. They're going to fuck him by promoting him. He's at a point right now. He's got about four or five years left. Old retirement plan, 20 years. Walk away with his retirement. He's one of the youngest first sergeants the Army's ever had. They're going to offer him sergeant major. And if he turns it down, they'll throw him out at 18 or 19 years with nothing. He's in a trap. An organization that does that to someone that has served so out. They can't say, you know what? You know what, first sergeant? You want to finish your career as a first sergeant? That's fine. Can't do it. Can't. I can't support a system that would do those two things. And there's hundreds of versions. I have a guy that lives down the road from me, naval captain. He ended up resigning his commission and leaving the military when they did the fake purge about if you've ever posted on social media about Trump, we're going to throw you out of the military. He just said, screw it, I'm done. Navy captain. That's, I think, like a light colonel. I think that's it's the equivalent of like a major or a colonel. So you're talking about another guy with a career. And how you how many before COVID, how many senior NCOs and field grade officers ended up pushed out under that scare tactic? So I couldn't be part of it. So if you're a teacher, deal with it. Deal with you're part of a system destroying the mind of our youth. Because until you accept that, you're not gonna fix it from inside. We all have to reach this point. There's something in our lives, every one of us, that we want to carve out and say, but this is different. It isn't. The purpose of the system is what it does. And it's up to us. This is up to us. You'll spend trillions. Chima Merkel says, but you'll spend trillions supporting drug addicts camping in your yard. Yeah. We will. We'll send billions to Ukraine. And we know about half of the money is being taken and stolen and not even going to the thing that we say it's going to. And our own State Department came out and said, well, you know, that's just the way things are in Ukraine. To get $15 billion worth of armament, we're going to have to give them $30 billion. That's just how it is. Yeah, we're paying for the retirement accounts. And the benefit accounts and the salaries of bureaucrats. But, eh, you know, they have to have a functioning government if they're going to fight Russia for us. This is what we live in. Guys, I'm done. I'm done contributing to this system. And I have been. 
It's what I've been teaching for 15 years now. Get out. Why do you think I tell you to get out of these cities? Because it's the only place you can start to actually really live in direct opposition to them. If you live in a city, you're going to have a job where you're going to be manipulated into participation. When you can get, when you can step back just a little bit, you can work for smaller companies to just say, we're just going to ignore this. Do you know how many companies said, we're not going to do this? My daughter-in-law, not vaccinated, works for a doctor's office. Every other person in that office is vaccinated. She didn't make a big deal out of it. She just said, I'm not doing it. They fell under Biden's order. They continued to fall under Biden's order because they accept Medicaid insurance. Her doctor just said, you're sure you're not going to do this? She's like, nope. Okay. But you have to. But I'm not going to. She just went out and she showed up for work every day in their job. They eventually decided she was more valuable working for them than not. So they just didn't say anything and didn't do anything. If she had worked for a hospital in downtown Fort Worth, she'd have lost her job or complied. And then you can just keep going from there. As much as I hate the public school system, no matter where it is, there's no doubt that it's worse in downtown Dallas or downtown Austin or downtown San Francisco or any of the suburbs around those shithole cities. You could name a hundred more cities than it is, you know, up here in Azle. I'm sure these kids up in Azle, Texas, they're not getting drag queen initiations in their schools. And the people that live up there, they won't tolerate it. They're the people that made this song the number one song in the world in a week. That's what they're really afraid of. This is why they hate music like that. Because music is a universal language. It connects with people. They know what they've done. The silent majority is a time bomb at this point. And this is my final message today. Something we have to be very careful of. I'm sure there's a lot of guys that like, you're out there and you're like, it's time for the boogaloo, baby. Let's show them what we got. They want violence. They're not afraid of the bomb going off and a whole bunch of like militia rising up or anything like that. They're like the National Guard, the police department, whatever. They'll put that shit down. And we can use that for more and more systems of control. They're not afraid of that type of revolution. <laughs> They're using the term insurrection around January 6th because insurrection is what they fear. Insurrection is when we all just say no. Insurrection is the mindset in the movie Tombstone, where Sheriff Behan tells Wyatt Earp and his boys, you're all under arrest. And Wyatt just looks at him and says, do you remember the line in the movie, guys? I know it's Hollywood. It wasn't what really happened. I, but do you remember what was in that movie? I don't think I'm going to let you arrest us today, Behan. And with that, the dude was neutered and he had nothing. It's one of my favorite movies, by the way, even though I know there's a lot of add-on bullshit in it. That's one of my favorite lines in that movie. My other favorite line in that movie, when they're all out hunting down the cowboys, and one of the one of Wyatt's boys turns to 
Doc Holliday, and he says, what are you doing out here? What are you doing out here? You're sick. You're dying. Why are you out here risking your life? And Doc turns to the guy and he says, Wyatt Earp is my friend. One of the other guys says, hell, Doc, I got lots of friends. And Doc says, what? I don't. I don't. So the ones I have, I stand with them. This is what they are afraid of. They're afraid. Again, I can't forget his name. Oliver Henry, I think is his name. The singing farmer. He did a farmer's market show. And it was something like 18 acres of cars parked. To see this guy that no one knew a week ago. What kind of people do you think were there? If you just took six of them at random, dropped them off on a street somewhere, and a couple dudes tried to rob an old lady, do you think those six dudes would stand there with their hands in their ass, looking at each other going, or do you think, even if the six of them didn't know each other, you just moved them over there in a random group, and they, they wouldn't instantly look at each other and go, hell no, and whoop ass. Hell no, and whoop ass. You know, I remember, yeah, Oliver Anthony. Okay, Oliver Anthony. Thanks, guys, for that. Oliver Anthony is the dude's name. And I do have links to his music and everything in the show. Oh, by the way, he has something like seven of the top 20 songs on iTunes right now. Not just uh, Richmond is at number one. He's got, like, number one, number two, number three, number seven, number nine. Like, people are, like, downloading all his music, right? All of his music. No, those, those six dudes have whooped that guy's ass. There's a dynamic among real men that want to be peaceful, that want to be peaceful, but they have a capacity for violence when necessary. They're afraid of that. That's actual masculinism. That's not toxic, toxic masculinity. You want to destroy men, take away masculinity, and you'll end up with actual toxic masculinity. Young men doing violence with no idea why they're doing it. Makes me think of a story. I was at a lake one time. We were there with my buddy and a couple of my other buddies and their wives and all. And we're putting our boat in. And my buddy's standing like one foot on the gun wall and one foot on the floating dock. And I said, no, wake up. And this jackass comes flying in, trims up, makes a huge swell. My buddy almost falls in the water. And I said something to the guy about it. I don't remember what. It wasn't real nasty. I said, hey, man, you know, you really shouldn't be doing that. He had somebody hurt. It's a no-wake zone. Well, he gets out of his boat, comes walking up to me on the dock, and goes, what, you think you're a badass or something? And my buddy behind me goes, no, he just thinks the six of us can kick your ass. That ended that right there. That mindset is what they're afraid of. We will take care of our own. We'll do what's right. That's why they hate everything. Everything that pushes against their narrative. Eat the bugs. Climate change is real. Take your vaccines unquestionably. Don't do your own. They hate anything that pushes against that. Free-thinking independent people are difficult to rule over. What, what people often say in that statement is they're difficult to lead. It's actually very easy to lead free-thinking independent people. Leaders lead by doing, by demonstrating. By saying, follow me. It's the kind of society you want 
when you want a society that values leadership. Because the only way you get somebody that's a good follower is they're also a good leader. That's why they teach you that in the military, to lead and to follow. Everybody works for somebody. So I need to be able to leave my five guys in my squad so that I can be a good squad leader for my platoon sergeant who needs to know how to lead his platoon of four or five squads so he can be a good platoon sergeant for his company commander and his first sergeant. And so that's what we need. That's what we need. We need this leadership and willingness to follow when a better leader is around. Yeah, there's even times in the military, you guys have served, you know this. You have a particular thing that needs to happen, and the person most qualified to lead is like an E4. And a sergeant goes, you're in charge of this, and not because I'm leaving, because you're, you're best qualified for this. Rank only goes so far. That's a free-thinking, independent person. That's somebody comfortable with who and what they are. If you've looked at what is really being done to America, everything is being done to make you doubt who you are, what you are, and what you're all about. Why would you say, why would you say that somebody wearing a traditional pretty dress is a white supremacist? If your goal wasn't to make them doubt what they are, why would you say we don't know what a woman is? If your goal wasn't to make people doubt who and what they are, you wouldn't. You wouldn't do any of this shit. Guys, gals, it's time. It's time for an insurrection, a real insurrection. It cannot be violent. The state excels at violence. When you attack your enemy, especially in an insurrection, you do not attack your enemy where your enemy is strong. All the state is, all the state has is violence. They excel at violence. And violence plays into their hand. Violence results in more laws, more regulations, more controls. What they can't stomach is peace, cooperation, and independent thinking. That's where we strike them. Tomorrow, I got a different show for you all together, though. Anybody out there know who Jim Shockey is? Jim Shockey is one of the best-known names in uh, the world of outdoors, especially like video production, hunting, shooting, sports, archery, air rifles, regular rifles, black powder, all of it. He's a pretty amazing dude. He's got a new uh, book out. It's actually a novel called Call Me Hunter. Jim is going to be on the Survival Podcast tomorrow. It's supposed to be a great day for me to get to interview somebody who I've admired for probably 20 years or more now. And we're going to talk to him about why, when he writes a book, you know, why write a book that's a novel instead of like a book about his adventures in his life? We are going to talk about all of the cool things this guy's uh, done. And I think it'll just be a good change of pace. I happen to meet... Uh, the literary agent that represents Jim and some other really big names uh, from Simon and Schuster. And I've got several scheduled to be on, but we got Jim on tomorrow. So definitely turn in with that guys. Have a great day. I'll catch you tomorrow with that interview. Are they going to bail you out?
just run you around. They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. Show you a better way. 